Welcome to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, a branded podcast from Worthy, dedicated to celebrating women like you as you embrace a new beginning after divorce, separation, or whatever. I'm Mandy Walker, and I'm your host. Consider this. Your diamond ring, bridal set, or other diamond jewelry can be a hidden financial asset that helps you with that fresh start. But selling jewelry can be a nightmare. Worthy offers an easy, headache-free solution by partnering with you to help you sell your jewelry and get the best deal on your piece. Our quick and easy process means less work for you and more money when you sell, all done from the comfort of your home. Visit worthy.com to learn more. For this episode, we're talking about finding love after divorce. And my guest today is Dr. Thomas Jordan. Dr. Jordan is a clinical psychologist and psychoanalyst in private practice in New York City. He's the author of the book, Learn to Love, Guide to Healing Your Disappointing Love Life. And he's also the founder of the lovelifelearningcenter.com. Welcome, Dr. Jordan. Thank you for inviting me, Mandy. I'm so excited to have you on to talk about this fascinating topic. Most surveys I see put the divorce rate in the U.S. at about 50%. And I know it's a lot more nuanced than that because it's like the second marriages have a higher divorce rate than first marriages. Uh-huh. And 50% doesn't reflect any variations by age group. It doesn't reflect anything to do with duration. So, you know, the stats themselves can be kind of, you can dig much deeper into that. But I'm curious about whether you think that, I mean, that that number can make it seem like we're just not very good at finding lasting love. And mm-hmm. is it because we don't invest enough in training people when they're younger to do that? Or, I mean, are we just bad learners or do we learn just by trial and error? Well, I think we're great learners. But as per your statement, I don't think we're training people about what to do in love relationships. The learning is unconscious. That's the problem. And a lot of it takes place early in life because the family of origin is a wonderful, intensive classroom that teaches us all kinds of things about love relationships. We don't know that we're learning and we don't know what we're learning, but we're picking up quite a bit. And if what we're learning is healthy, fine. Everything's wonderful. We'll probably try to replicate that. But the problem comes in when we've learned something unhealthy, and there's a good chance that we'll try to replicate that, and that's where the difficulties come. And we might not recognize that it's unhealthy. Absolutely. We might just say, well, that's what my mom did, or that's what my dad did. Exactly. Or even less conscious than that. It's just the pattern that replicates itself over and over and over and over again. I've seen this so often in my practice, as well as in my own life, which became the two reasons I wrote the book. I wanted to write a book that people could look at and read easily and begin the experience of changing what I like to call their psychological love life. That means changing what's on the inside in terms of their expectations, what they've learned about love relationships, because in my experience, that produces real and enduring changes in a person's love life. So tell me more about psychological love life, because I haven't heard that term before. Okay, yes. I invented it. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, I'm honored to um, be talking to you. <laughs> right. Well, we could start with looking at what a disappointing love life looks like. 
And that's a, a phrase I use to describe repetitive disappointments in a person's love life, which indicate the repetition indicates that something has been learned that's unconscious and is resulting in repeated patterns. And if the patterns are unhealthy, then you're going to have disappointment, repetitive disappointment. So that's the first clue that something's going on. But what's disappointing for one person may not be disappointing for another. True. I'm using disappointment in a generalized sense as a failed relationship, that the patterns result in a breakup, in a marriage that doesn't endure. That you didn't want. Oh, didn't want. The very, the, you're right. The disappointments can be quite varied, but the outcome is the relationship fails. It breaks up. Okay. And, uh, you know, in, in the book, as a footnote, you know, in the book I talk about, you know, this is not a book about love. Love is a wonderful experience that's unpredictable, uncontrollable, and hopefully occurs more than once in a person's <laughs> life, you know. It's beautiful. We can't control it. I hope it remains uncontrollable. I think there are people trying to figure out is can neuroscience give us the clues to change it or whatever. I'm hoping it stays Can I get a, a prescription and take the medicine? Aha, uh-huh, the there you go. <laughs> right, right, right. My interest is in the relationships people set up when they fall in love. That we can do something about. You know, one of the biggest tragedies in life in my opinion is falling in love and setting up an unhealthy love relationship in response to that love. Because unhealthy love relationships characteristically kill the love. They destroy the love. They interfere with the love. They distort the love. And uh, as a consequence, it doesn't endure. It's not sustainable. Okay, so being able to identify repetition of an unhealthy pattern becomes the first clue. And then from there, uh, in the book, I outline... 10, now it's 12, I've added a two since I've written the book, (laughs) 12 unhealthy relationship experiences that over the course of 30 years of researching love life psychology, I found commonly would enter people's love lives unconsciously. Can you give us uh, some examples of those? Yeah, uh, I'll I'll read you the list. Abandonment, abuse, control, dependency, dishonesty, dominance, exploitation, intrusion, mistrust, neglect, rejection, and self-centeredness. These are experiences that teach lessons that are fundamentally unhealthy and can be quite destructive in a person's love life. And I've seen them over and over again, and that's how I compiled the list. And they're experiences that can occur early, pretty early in life. Uh, We witness them as a consequence of observing what's going on in the family of origin, for example, love relationships, or they can occur as a consequence of how we're related to. And in some rare occasions, they can be uh, taught as uh, an instruction. I remember my father teaching my brothers and I about love life when we were having waffles one Sunday morning, and he's <laughs> saying, my mother's serving them, my father's cooking them. So I hope you guys find a nice woman like your mother to marry someday. And my mother's <laughs> all smiles like she's the model in that moment, you know? But that's love life instruction right there, you know? <laughs> right, and some of it, yeah, some of it is subconscious, because I remember looking at my dad and how he 
his role in the household and the division uh-huh. of the labor between my mom and dad. And uh-huh. You know, there are things there that I would like in a marriage to be. Uh-huh. Right, right. And, and those are very powerful lessons. And they're lessons that can endure through childhood, adolescence, and, and beyond. So we're learning quite a bit about love relationships. Again, if it's unhealthy, then there's a problem. So these unhealthy relationship patterns get replicated. I like that word, replicated. Yeah. There are blueprints, so to speak, that are there unconsciously providing a template that people replicate. And I became, in this book and in my research, very interested in how this replication process takes place. I'm a psychoanalyst interested in how this unconscious learning is recreated, and if it's a powerful word, recreated. It means we have something to do as individuals in recreating that replicated pattern. We're not aware that we're doing it, but we're doing it, and we're doing it each time we fall in love. So my interest was in you know, deciphering the details of that so I could help people become conscious of this process, interrupt it, and replace it with something healthier once they become conscious of it. So if I understand what you're saying, I'm thinking I may just have ended a relationship and let's say the my partner in that relationship was emotionally abusive. And then I go on to another relationship and maybe unconsciously, the person I'm choosing, I'm choosing them and they're also emotionally abusive. But part of that is my own behavior, the way that I'm responding and the way that I'm choosing a partner because of what I've learned. Yes. And what you've just described is someone's psychological love life. The patterns that taught them about love relationships and how they recreate those patterns. That's what's in the psychological love life. And it's unconscious. So once you become conscious of the contents of that psychological love life, then there are opportunities to make change. Then you can interrupt the automatic nature of what you've learned. You can unlearn it. So and you can learn something better. To go back, kind of do some reflection on the relationship that's just ended and say, you know, what were the behaviors that were going on in this relationship? Not just and like, what was my spouse doing or my partner doing? And how was I responding or initiating as well? Absolutely. That and more. What kind of people do I always find in my love life? Is there a pattern? I worked with someone recently who divorced two men who were kind of similar to her father. And the third man was moving in that direction in an early relationship she was having. And she was reacting to some of the behaviors that her mother had expressed in a relationship with her father. So that blueprint was very much in control of her psychological love life as it was being reenacted over and over again in her love life. So as she became aware of that repetitive pattern, she was able to ask questions about it, study it, reflection, consciousness. That becomes an opportunity to apply an unlearning experience to what's been learned. And that's the beauty of consciousness. It permits us 
to become aware of these unconscious dominating patterns that could be in control of our love lives and disrupt them, interfere with them. How easy is that for somebody to do on their own? Like, say, if they bought your book, that's obviously a roadmap, but is this something that people can work through on their own or do they really need professional guidance to help work through that? Or does uh, that depend on the severity of all the of things? All, all of the above. I, I think uh, <laughs> there are individuals who are uh, quite interested in consciousness, who journal, for example, who, who talk about their love life. I've had consultations with people two, three, four, five consultations. And within those consultations, they become conscious of the pattern, and that's that's good enough. They're, they have the tools now to go into their love life and make different choices, move in different directions. I'm assuming that there's, and based on the reviews that I've received on the book, it was published in 2019, and I've had quite a few reviews. There are people that have read this book and believed and, and, and indicated to me in their review that they've been able to use some of the messages that I've been trying to get across. There are other people that might need some support as they begin to make these changes because they can be hurtful. Disappointments are hurtful. We can collect unresolved hurt. We can even try to fix our love lives in ways that can make it more complicated. You know, that's a, a bit of a problem. For example, when people have a disappointing love life, sometimes they try to be in their love lives defensively, for example. Some people avoid love altogether. Others try to be in a love relationship at a distance to try to protect themselves and not be vulnerable. Or they generate conflict all the time to avoid vulnerability. A lot of people try to change their partner. Oh, you know, you have so many redeeming qualities. I love it. And I'll fix these couple of areas over here. <laughs> that I'll love you to death and make you into a perfect partner. And I'm sorry. I've been in this business for 35 years in total, and I've never met a person who successfully changed someone else in a love relationship. People change because they want to themselves. Right. You know, that. And then there are people who do. Other variations, like, you know, they have this, like, 100% compatibility idea in their minds, and they substitute one partner after another, you know, measuring compatibility. No, no, you're not it. Next, 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 until they reach resignation, which is unfortunately a powerful state for a lot of people. And then there's multiples, which I worry about, you know, multiple partners, superficial relationships uh, without the vulnerability required to really experience intimacy. And that's become more popular these days as well. So these are different ways people try to cope with the fact that their psychological love life is generating disappointment over and over again. We're going to take a short break and then we're going to be back because I have more questions for you, especially about that, fixing some of the things that are wrong. Listeners, my guest today is Dr. Thomas Jordan. Dr. Jordan is a clinical psychologist and psychoanalyst in private practice in New York City. He's the author of the book, Learn to Love, Guide to Healing Your Disappointing Love Life. And he's the founder of the lovelifelearningcenter.com. You're listening to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle. We'll be right back. Do stay tuned for more on finding love after divorce.
Moving past divorce is hard enough without your old engagement ring staring you in the eye every time you open your jewelry box. With Worthy, you'll find a selling partner who will help you transform your ring from a symbol of the past to a financial asset to help you start fresh. Worthy takes care of everything, from insurance coverage to secure shipping, professional grading, and more. So when you're ready to sell, visit worthy.com. We're ready when you are. Welcome back to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle. I'm your host, Mandy Walker, and in this episode, we're talking about love after divorce. My guest today is Dr. Thomas Jordan. Dr. Jordan is a clinical psychologist and a psychoanalyst in private practice in New York City. He is the author of the book, Learn to Love, Guide to Healing Your Disappointing Love Life, and the founder of the lovelifelearningcenter.com. Dr. Jordan, before the break, we were talking, you mentioned about people trying to fix a few things that were wrong with their partner or they thought were wrong. And I, one of my questions for you was understanding that there is no perfect person, that we all have uh, things that people would probably like to change. Where's the line between a behavior you should tolerate and something that's unhealthy? Mm. Yeah, you know, the old saying, the trick to a great love life is finding a partner whose faults you can live with. <laughs> yes. Right? So that's a, that's right. to your question, right? I'm thinking there's probably quite a bit of individual variability in the answer to that question, you know, even though I think that most people would agree that there are toxicities in certain love relationships, probably having to do with some of the unhealthy relationship experiences I read off. You know, abuses, abandonments, neglect, rejection, dishonesty. So I would look for those relationship experiences to really give me a sense of what's not going to be fixable. Plus, there's a certain amount of uh, cooperation, compromise, mutuality, sharing that takes place in a healthy marriage Uh, I've been married 28 years to my wife, Victoria, who's also in the field. She's in that office over there. But uh, I I experienced marriage as a mutual experience of solving problems as they emerge from time to time and being able to communicate to each other in that process. I think those two things are important, solving problems and communicating well enough to be able to identify them. Unfortunately, there are people who get into a marriage where they want positive change, but the partner does not. And that can be a real struggle and a a difficulty because unless two people are working on a relationship, which is two people together, there's going to be problems in trying to evolve the relationship, develop the relationship, uh, solve problems. So where the line is, I think the line is definitely bold when it comes to the 12 unhealthy relationship experiences I read off. And then from there, it's a matter of what you can live with, you know? And if you can't live with what's in the relationship, what's happening from your partner, it's important to be able to separate and leave. Right. Um, that is That does not necessarily mean, well, I think that knowing when to leave a relationship because it's toxic is healthy. I would say that. 
So let's say that because our audience is people who are experiencing the end of their marriage or the end of a relationship, and you've ended that relationship, you've realized that there's been some unhealthy behaviors going on, and you want to change things going forward, do you have some suggestions on how do you start practicing changes in those behaviors? Because it's like, as we were saying earlier, all of these things we learn as children and we learn them subconsciously. And now we have to go through a process of unlearning them and learning something different. And that's going to take practice. It doesn't just happen overnight. Absolutely. And the motivation is getting your love life right. And that's a very strong one. Well, Um, let me ask you, if, if people's love lives aren't right, do you often see struggles in other areas like work relationships? Yes. The unhappiness can generalize. It can interfere with functioning. Unfortunately, love relationship difficulties can be quite powerful, a very strong source of suffering. If I look at my practice currently and over the years, there's two emotions that we don't train people in, to use your word earlier at the beginning, yet are so powerful in the occurrence of mental illness, and that is love and grief. Grief is a very important emotion occurring because of loss, occurring because of, uh, of the end of things that people experience, including deaths. But yet, being able to grieve in a healthy way is oftentimes not allowed or not know, people don't know how to do it, or they have a history of it being suppressed or being translated as weakness or sickness. And uh, love as well. I mean, love is one of those emotions that I look at it as, as something we're all capable of feeling, but how we construct a relationship to take care of that love, to nurture that love, that's when the problems come in, because learning is very much an important part of that. But let me get back to your question. You know, I offer in the book, and I talk a lot about the unlearning method. I call it a three a three step unlearning method, which the first step is always to identify what is going on in our love lives. Have we learned something that's dominating our choices, how our love life experience occurs, and if so? It's very important to identify. I tried to help with that identification by putting together that list of relationship experiences that I found commonly occur. It's not an exclusive list. There's obviously other possible experiences that could happen. I'm assuming that I'll be adding more <laughs> to the list as we go along. I'm not done. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, this love life research area has been going on for quite some time now and it will continue. <laughs> and I'm excited about it. I I I love it. I mean I, I love it. And so identifying those unhealthy relationship experiences. I mean I'm gonna take a little sidebar and tell you I identified my own unhealthy relationship experiences, which became a powerful motivator for writing this book. Between the ages of 17 and I'd say 32 years old, I had a disappointing love life, multiple disappointments, people that it didn't work out over and over again, several experiences of heartache and sadness and loss, realized in a personal therapy experience with an analyst here in New York City who I think understood love better than most, 
And he helped me understand that I was using my mother, my mother's template, what my mother had taught me unconsciously, what an eligible woman is. And the template I was using was... pancakes on a Sunday morning. (laughs) Ah, yeah, but it's deeper than that. Ready? (laughs) Eligible woman is dependent, controlling, and self-centered. And my mother struggled with all three of those in the course of her life. That's what I left home looking for. And you know what's scary is when I couldn't find it and I found something else, I imagined those three things were there because that's how strong the Uh. expectation was. So when my analyst finally got a hold of me and said, look, I think you're using what your mother taught you in a way that's not helpful, I took a bit of a hiatus from my love life, a self-study, psychological love life, went inside, what's going on? What am I carrying around? What am I bringing to the party, so to speak? And I realized in the course of a period of a couple of years of doing that, looking around, looking at women through binoculars and then microscope, you know, what's going on? Who is, I didn't have any sisters. So it was really an experience of, okay, my mother was the only example of a woman in my life. So meeting women, having best friends who are women, I did, it's like a bit of an internship. And I realized women can be independent, not controlling and intimate instead of self-centered. And interestingly enough, short period after that, Victoria showed up, my wife, who was independent, not controlling, and intimate. We've been married for 28 years. So I I looked at that and said, okay, I changed something on the inside of me. I was able to identify with a little bit of help what's going on, what I learned, and then I entered an unlearning process by challenging that. So So that sounds like that might be like your step two, your unlearning Yes, yes. Step two, is a challenge of what we've learned, a challenge of those experiences that are replicating, that we're recreating in our love life. So uh, for me, it was to challenge the idea that dependency, controlling behavior, and self-centeredness or narcissism was okay. And I, I came to the conclusion with a little bit of help that these features indicated the person was not ready for a healthy love relationship. So I needed to be able to filter people out of my dating life that had these particular qualities. And so I was able to do that, but that that's a process and I do it with my patients, helping them. It's almost like a self-study. It's, okay, I'm going to look inside myself to work on my love life. That's why I, I love that phrase, working on your psychological love life. And you were just saying about how you kind of did your like internship, you called it. Well, one of my Uh questions was, if you know that you need to change behaviors and let's say you're not dating, you could start practicing some of the change behaviors on work colleagues and family members. Absolutely. Friendships. Friendships. Right. Friendships. Friendships. You could say, recognize, okay, I need to be more open, more vulnerable, more emotionally available. So I'm going to practice expressing those feelings with my friends and get comfortable. Absolutely. And and I'm going to I'm going to gravitate towards friends that possess certain qualities that help bring my understanding and my awareness and my relationships in a new and better direction. So it works both ways. It's a practice for ourselves and it's a 
It's a, an invitation to others that possess this quality. For example, uh, unfortunately, I've had a lot of women in this office that have talked about, a couple of men, but mostly women that have talked about dishonesty, growing up with a parent who cheated on the other parent in in the course of family life and how they ended up with men who were emotionally unavailable or had difficulty with commitment and and had to really understand honesty in relation. What is honesty? How does it manifest? How do I identify it in a person? And it, it applies to the other uh, relationship experiences as well. Abandonment, you're looking for commitment. So step three, once the challenge has begun with consciousness and you're able to see these patterns, you're able to see the repetition, you're able to get some idea of what you've learned from them and how you go looking for this. For example, I used beliefs, behavior, and feeling as the three ways to look at what we've learned from these relationship experiences we've had earlier in our lives. And uh, give you examples of them. Like, for example, if you've been exposed to, we were using abuse earlier, so we'll stay with that example. If you've been exposed to abuse earlier in life, you've observed it, you've been unfortunately a victim of abuse yourself. I have found that unconscious beliefs that that's what you find in a love relationship yeah. are in the back room. The expectation, oh, well, all men cheat. All men are abusive. All women control. I mean, these stereotypic beliefs can be very powerful and very much on the unconscious level, having an effect on how we choose what we expect. Behavior, how people go looking for partners that help them recreate what they've experienced, or they themselves recreate the experience. So a person, as a consequence of being exposed to abusive relationships early in life, can abuse or look for partners who abuse them or both. So the learning can go in all these different directions right. in regard to behavior. Right. And then feeling, feeling is the emotional aspect to what I like to think of as familiarity. You know, the root of familiarity is family. Familiar, what we're familiar with oftentimes structures the emotional experience we're going to have in our love lives. So those feelings on an unconscious level become part of what's being recreated. They're familiar. We don't like them, but yet they show up repeatedly because that's what we're familiar with. So being able to look at how this learning takes place on these three levels was a deep was a deeper way to identify how it's being recreated. Again, once consciousness is applied to this, the challenge can be powerful. People can right. begin to say, okay, I, I need to do something different because this is unhealthy. This is unhealthy. And they start seeing how the pattern has dominated their love life experience. The good news is once you've got stage one, step one and two done, the correction is moving your relationship experience in the opposite direction. And the opposite is fundamentally healing. If you've had abandonment earlier in life, moving toward commitment, realizing how to identify people who can commit, 
developing a sensitivity for commitment, dishonesty to honesty, neglect to devotion. All these opposites are ways, pathways to bring our love lives in a new direction that now can be consciously chosen and consciously practiced. Yeah. Well, that's a wonderful message, and it's a a great one to finish up our, our conversation today. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to speak it, and thank you for inviting me. It's been my pleasure, Dr. Jordan. It's been lovely to meet you. Listeners, my guest today was Dr. Thomas Jordan. Dr. Jordan is a clinical psychologist and psychoanalyst in private practice in New York City. He's the author of the book, Learn to Love, Guide to Healing Your Disappointing Love Life, and the founder of lovelifelearningcenter.com. Thanks for listening to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, a branded podcast from Worthy. Worthy is a selling partner you can trust to help you get the best deal possible on your diamond jewelry. Visit worthy.com to learn more and get started. If you have questions about an episode, compliments you'd like to share, or would like to be a guest, please email us at podcast at worthy.com. Follow the podcast at We Are So Worthy on Instagram or see our Facebook page, Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, for information about the show. Please see our show notes at worthy.com forward slash podcast for resources and more information about today's episode and guest. I'm your host, Mandy Walker. You can learn more about me at mandywalker.com. Huge thank yous to Worthy's production team. Listen, follow, or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Our next episode will be live in two weeks, so stay tuned. <laughs>